It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to Wednesday's edition of the programme, 1st of September, and it's the September, the weather forecast and the temperature drop is really kind of reflect, re- reflecting there's a bit of an awesome feel uh, there uh, but once it's dry we won't complain and uh, 20 degrees for the 1st of September if that's what temperatures reach this afternoon that's not bad at all. Now welcome along to the programme we've got John Paul taking your calls at 1850-333-103 anything you want to share with us we'd love to hear from you you can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 we will in a little while be going through what the Taoiseach announced yesterday and the measures that are going to the lifting of restrictions some starting from as early as today and then there's various dates that we need to keep in mind 6th of September the 20th of September and then going right through to October by the 22nd of October all of the restrictions should be lifted bar the ones for the wearing of uh, masks uh, but everything else should be gone by the 22nd of October. Your thoughts uh, welcomed on what was announced yesterday. Are you welcoming of them or are you with the group of people that are a little bit nervous? For example, one of the first things to happen from today is the lifting of, well, not the lifting of restrictions, but the reopening of public Transport. Public transport is operating at 100% capacity right across uh, the country and that's from today. And there are some people a little bit nervous about the idea of getting the bus to work, getting the train uh, to work and people sitting right beside them, particularly, I think, for people who have been commuting to or from work on public transport right throughout the pandemic and have been used to the fact of getting on a train or getting on a bus and always having empty seats around because they've been running, well, they had one stage running at 25% capacity. So there was, you know, there was no way somebody was going to be on top of you. You could, in a situation at the busier times of the day, morning commute, the evening commute, you could end up in a situation of a very packed bus or a very packed train. Pre-pandemic, we remember that people all on top of each other. You never thought about it before. Suddenly now, if you're a little bit nervous about catching COVID and you're on a train, you're on a bus, people on top of you and someone beside you has a bit of a sniffle, has a bit of a cough or a cold, you can sense the nervousness out there by some people. And I think it, it came, I think, as a shock to a lot of people how quickly they decided 
the government decided that public transport would operate at 100% capacity. I think people thought that there would have been an easing back into it and some people were taken aback when we started mentioning it. At the end of last week, I think we started mentioning it, that the 100% capacity on the buses and the, and the trains and the Lewis and the Dart, etc. would be from today, the 1st of September. But of course, the understanding of it was because schools are back and colleges will be back and of course we know there's going to be a return to work so because of that we need to have public transport at full uh, capacity but I actually and I think I'm sure I mentioned this last week in the programme I was wondering how did was that a NEFIT recommendation or how did NEFIT feel about public transport back at 100%. Well, we're getting confirmation this morning that the Minister for Health has said it was a government decision to allow the return of public transport to full capacity and it wasn't based on a recommendation from uh, Neffet. So that doesn't really surprise me. Now, uh, one wonders, will Neffet come out and will Dr Tony Hoolan come out and say how he feels about public transport running at 100% uh, capacity? But of course, if you are planning a trip on public transport, face masks remain mandatory on all public transport so you will still have to wear the mask and that's one of the few restrictions that's going to remain in place even past the 22nd of October when all of the restrictions will be lifted. So your thoughts are welcomed already. There's a listener on about return to work and we know the start to return to work we're told can be from the 20th of September. A West Cork listener says, did I hear that right? Did our, and this is how this listener phrases it, our dear Leo demand that everybody returns to the office? I think not. I consider it a health risk. If I have to share an office with a non-vaccinated person, of course we have a right to know if somebody's sitting a few feet away from another de- desk hasn't had the vaccination, why the secrecy? It's a vaccine. It's not an embarrassing medical condition. I, for one, am remote working. No one can force me back into the office. And I've had that confirmed by my solicitor, says a West Cork uh, listener. And I think, you know, why the suggestion is going to be that working, returning to the office will be from the 20th of September. Certainly when I was listening to Dear Leo, as our listener says, uh, yesterday I listened to the press conference afterwards which had Leo Varadkar, Micheál Martin and Eamon Ryan of the Greens, the three parties in government, all fielding questions from the press uh, yesterday when they were asked about the return to the office. They're very much leaving it up to individual businesses to decide what return to the office is going to to look look like. I am assuming that there will be very few business premises that will be saying to their employees today on the 20th of September we're opening our front doors and you're all coming back in and everything returns to as normal. I'm assuming there's going to be a staggered return to the office. There will be a blended working where people will perhaps come to the office, work two days a week, work from home three days a week. Will that go on forever? Will it go on for a period of time? But it will be individual discussions between employers and employees. So I suggest to that West Cork listener, I don't know if you've already had the discussion with your employer, but I imagine your employer will be and they will start to contact, people will start to get contact from their employers 
as to what return to the office looks look looks like. So keep us informed, please, on how you get on when you say that you're remote working and no one can force you back into the office. But I wonder what if you got you, you, your big fear seems to be that you don't want to share an office with a, a, a non-vaccinated person. What if everybody in your office is vaccinated? Would you then be happy to go back into the office? Is that the only reason that you're not happy about it is that you're fearful of working with somebody who's not vaccinated. So uh, let us know. And if we need proof, by the way, that vaccines work, there's evidence in today's Irish Independent newspaper. They've done a comparison between the uptake of vaccines and the positive COVID cases for the last 14 days. And they've done it county by county. And it clearly shows that counties with the lowest vaccine update, they have some of the highest rates of COVID-19 in the country. If you look at and they've done it, they've laid it out in a map showing the vaccination rates. And then they also show the 14 day incident per 100,000 in that particular county. And if you look at the two border counties currently reporting the highest incident rate of the disease in Ireland over the past fortnight. Those two counties are Monaghan and uh, Donegal. But when you look at Monaghan and Donegal, they also have the lowest uptake of the uh, vaccine. I think they have the lowest... I'm looking at it right. They have the lowest uptake for the entire country. Overall, of course, we know here in Ireland we're doing really well when it comes to vaccination. We have the second highest vaccination rate in the EU. We're only beaten by one other country and that country is Malta. So the HSC has a county by county breakdown of the vaccination update. And it it shows, for example, that the, the the county that's doing the best is County Waterford. They are almost at 99% of all adults in Waterford over the age of 18 have obtained at least one dose of a COVID-19 vaccine, making they making Waterford the county with the highest uptake of the jab in the state. And then they're followed very closely by Carlo. Tipperary, Wexford, Sligo and Wicklow. They all have uptake rates of 95% and higher. And then Cork, we're in the next bunch. We're very close to the 95. We're at 94.1%. The Limerick is at 94.5%. So there's a couple of Mayo's at 94.8%. So there's a couple of other counties who are getting very close to the 95% uh, uh, mark. But it's just interesting the when you look at the figures and when you look at the breakdown, it's it's showing counties that have high rates of vaccination have some of the lowest rates of positive cases of COVID-19 in the last 14 days. So definitely to me that is showing that the vaccines are working. On average the uptake of the vaccine among over 18s nationwide is just under 92% and the data is a percentage estimate by the Central Statistics Office of the total eligible population who have obtained at least one dose of the vaccine. That's where the figures are coming from. So the HSE say the risk of contracting and spreading the virus is greatly increased when you are not vaccinated and it is therefore inevitable that an area with low vaccination uh, rates will have a higher incident rate of the virus 
they, we know that the virus protects against serious illness and hospitalisation and, uh, and obviously the HSE continue to co- encourage everyone to avail of it. So uh, well done as I say to the Irish Independent for making that comparison uh, study today. And then yesterday we had somebody asking about boosters, what's happening with uh, booster booster vaccines. Well a booster vaccine programme this got mentioned yesterday by Micheál Martin. It would be a key factor in the easing of the remaining restrictions, particularly the ones that they want to ease in time for the government's deadline of October 22nd. Uh, Micheál Martin spoke about booster uh, shots uh, being administered in the coming weeks. That's kind of as much detail as uh, he gave yesterday as he was unveiling the new roadmap for the easing of restrictions. And uh, he spoke about who would be initially getting the booster doses. Certainly it's going to be people who are immune compromised. It's going to be residents of nursing homes and it is going to be people in healthcare. I mean, to me, it sounds like the group of people who were the first to get the vaccine and that is only right and proper that they should be the first to get the booster because they are the ones who have the vaccine the longest so if there's going to be any waning of the effectiveness of the vaccine it's going to happen in that group of people first so it does look like they're waiting on NIAC to come out I mean I think it's a definite that there will be booster shots but we just have to wait and see when is it going to start who's going to be the first how is it going to be administered I mean you know I'm assuming it's going to be very different to the way we got the vaccine with the vaccination clinics. I'm assuming it's going to be done through doctors, it's going to be done through pharmacies and you'll make an appointment and go and get your your vaccine yourself. I'm assuming that's the way it's going to be done but we're going to have to wait and see and we wait for the recommendation from NIAC even though the EU came out yesterday uh, stating the tens of millions of vaccines that they've ordered from Pfizer and Moderna. They're going to be the only vaccines that are going to be used as booster shots. So we will obviously get our booster. That's where our order of our booster vaccines will come from. It will be from the EU pot of uh, either Pfizer or Moderna. John in Mill Street said, Hi Patricia, uh, just wondering on the announcement yesterday, the pubs and the half 11 closing time, is that still in place or has that been uh, scrapped? That's been known as the half 11 curfew. I don't know why they, they, they brought in the word curfew on it. To me, John is right, it's the closing time of pubs at half 11. It's 11 o'clock last serving of drinks and everyone gone by half past 11. That it remains in place and it gets removed on October 20. So when we get to the day when the last of the restrictions go, like on that particular day, it's the full capacity at stadiums and concert venues. They're saying full capacity inside nightclubs and uh, you won't have to use COVID passes or anything from the 22nd of October. And that's when uh, pubs can go back to the normal opening and closing times. So the half 11 closing, John remains in place until then. 22nd of October and another listener says Hi Patricia it is great that they're lifting all of these restrictions anybody out there that's nervous anybody out there not liking them not agreeing with them my suggestion to them is stay at home Court today on C103 With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie Yesterday as we've mentioned already the Cabinet signed off on what will hopefully be the final reopening of society with the lifting of restrictions over the coming weeks. To talk us through what was announced yesterday by the Taoiseach, I'm joined by Adam Higgins, who is the political correspondent with the Irish Sun newspaper. Good morning to you, Adam. 
Good morning, Patricia. Yeah, the countdown to freedom is on. 51 days left and we can finally wave goodbye to these restrictions that have held us back for the past year and a half. And you've actually counted... (laughs) You've counted the number of days. But there are pains to point out that this... They're they're not calling it a freedom day, as they did in the UK. That's correct. Uh, several times the government leaders last night at the press conference mentioned that this wasn't going to be Freedom Day. Instead, they're calling it the first day of a new normal. So we'll still see masks with us in some settings. We're going to see a blended return to the office with many people probably staying at home to work. The test and tracing system and the vaccine system that we have for foreign travel is going to stay in place. And But by... October 22nd, that big day that was announced last night, uh, NEFED are predicting that we'll be past the peak of this Delta wave that we're in at the moment, that we'll have 90% of people over the age fully vaccinated. And so that's where we're going to start moving away from all these restrictions. Now, the government leaders were, you're right, very keen to say the pandemic is not over. They highlighted two key points of concern uh, that still remain, and one of them is around a possible second peak of the Delta wave that seems to be hitting countries like Scotland and Israel, where they have a successful vaccine rollout already, but the cases are continuing to climb. And the second fear is that uh, a new COVID variant will emerge, and that's going to remain a very real fear for, for a long time. Yeah, and that's why it's so important that vaccines, we get vaccines out into other countries as well, because it's the new variants are coming from countries that have very low vaccine uptake. You're right. And I know um, from speaking with people in the Department of Health that they've already begun the process of donating our spare vaccine doses to countries all over the world. So direct, there's two ways that's going to happen. The, the COVAX system that is like a global support system that's going to get uh, spread vaccines across countries to places like Africa and and Asia and parts of the the world that haven't got the same purchasing power as the European Union. So they they will come straight from manufacturers. So Ireland's allocations, instead of coming to Ireland, they'll go straight from the manufacturers to the COVAX program and straight to the countries that need them. But separately, we have a bank of vaccines here, or hundreds of thousands of doses, I think it's about 300,000 doses, of vaccines that we don't believe we're going to need at the moment. They would be the likes of AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson. The government is in negotiations already with countries in Africa about shipping them from here to there, but I'm, I'm told it's a kind of a tricky process because legally uh, they have there's a lot to be worked through and also they have to remain that kind of cold chain integrity to make yes, sure yeah. that the vaccines are, you know, in top form when they land there. Yeah, OK. So lifting of restrictions from as early as next Monday, the 6th of September. That's right. So actually the first um, step on this started today with a 100% return of public transport. So there'll be no seats blocked off on your bus on the way into work or anything like that anymore. That started today. And then you're looking at September 6th, the return of the dance floor at weddings, music and live bands will get back to work at weddings. It's still a capacity of 100 people there. But we were speaking last night. In, In other countries, they've kept this rule where, you know, you've got to stay at your table and it's almost like... um the music at a wedding is a cabaret act, you know. The the, first, the couple, can, the newlyweds can do their dance, but no one else can dance, and it's almost like an entertainment show. But we're not going to go down that route. We're, we're allowing dance floors to open now uh, on September 6th, and that coincides with the return of indoor events, things like, you know, bingo halls, concerts, um, live music in pubs, that sort of stuff. Now, when it comes to organised indoor events, they will be at a capacity of 60% if people are fully vaccinated. And then outdoor event, it will be 75% if people are fully vaccinated. So that's the first step on September 6th. Okay, so that means that people will be asked for their COVID 
certificates if they're going to check people to see if they can have more people inside you're right, yeah. Unfortunately, that vaccine pass system is going to stay with us for a couple of more weeks. So that will be used for live events and will still be used for indoor hospitality, the likes of restaurants and pubs. But when it gets to October 22nd, that will be fully gone. The reasoning behind that now is from a public health perspective. So at the moment, we haven't hit that 90% of over 16 that uh, fully vaccinated that the government wants to get to. They yeah. predict that we're going to get there over the next couple of weeks, but they haven't got an exact date. And they also want to make sure that once someone gets two, uh, two vaccines, that doesn't mean they're fully vaccinated. They still have to wait that week or 10 days for the vaccine to kick in in their system. So they want to have that all over with before we get rid of that vaccine pass system that we all have to use at the moment. And while wedding bands obviously thrilled and for people going to weddings, they'll be able to get out, as you say, on the dance floor. The numbers at weddings still remains at 100 until the 22nd of October. Yeah, I thought that was a curious one myself because we've seen this this steady increase in the numbers uh, over the past few months. And I think a lot of couples might have been expecting, okay, when it gets to, you know, September, they'll go up to 100, and maybe October will go up to 150, 200, whatever the situation would be. But now the government, they're keeping it at 100, and uh, then when it gets to October 22nd, there'll be no restrictions. So it won't, on October, it won't go from 100 to 200. It'll go from 100 to whatever you want. Well, on whatever you can afford. Um, <laughs> now, there, and of course, the big one is the return to uh, workplaces from the 20th of uh, September. Are you assuming a lot of discussions now from today between employers and employees? We're already getting texts and calls in from listeners saying, I don't want to go back to the office. I want to stay remote working. There'll be a lot of discussions, won't there, to be had between now and that date of September 20th? There will be indeed a lot of discussions and not only between um, employees and their employers, but also the government are going to be involved in these discussions. Um, last night, Atanish, the, who's, uh, Leo Varag, who's also the Employment and Business Minister, so this would be his remit, he said that they would return to work on a phased basis from September 20th. Now, when asked about that, he said he hadn't got an exact plan in place because the government wants to sit down with business groups, with trade unions and nail down a plan for the return to work. So, when, when pressed on it a bit more, he did say, look, well, the first phase, we probably see something like inductions and meetings. So people who haven't who've joined the company over the past year and a half and haven't had the chance to be in the office or do necessary training that takes place in the office, they may be the first. But he did caveat that by saying, well, look, we want to discuss this with the trade unions, discuss it with business groups and employers and make sure we have a, a plan. But he did, at the end of that, say, look, he doesn't see things going back to the way they they were before the pandemic and he thinks one of the lasting changes from this COVID-19 crisis will be a, a permanent blended working situation where some people will work from home and others will return to the office. Okay but it'll be indiv- up to individual companies it'll be there'll be a lot of uh, discussion certainly will take place. Okay listener wants to know does Adam know when will masks eventually be removed and lifted the restrictions on masks that's the one that is going to remain with us after October 22nd. It is indeed. That one's with us for for the foreseeable future. So the Taoiseach said last night that after October 22nd, the only legal places that you will have to wear, the only place that the law will say you have to wear a mask will be uh, in three spots. One will be public transport. The second will be healthcare settings. So that's the likes of a nursing home or a hospital. 
and third will be busy retail so the likes of shopping centres and when you're doing your weekly shopping in, in one of the supermarkets so they're the three places that it'll be legal when when asked look when do you think masks are going to end he said they'll be with us long past Christmas and then he also said which was I thought was interesting that he hopes mask wearing becomes part of culture in Ireland in the same way it is in certain Asian countries where at the winters when there's a lot of respiratory viruses going around whether that's COVID or the flu if someone is feeling like they might be sick or they might have some sort of you know a symptom that they'd wear a mask if they were going somewhere where they think they might spread the virus. So whether that law gets dropped, I'd say it'll probably be into next year when it does get dropped, and then the government are hoping to move to that personal responsibility that we that we see mentioned a lot. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see going forward. Will uh, because you're right. We used to always look at if we were ever travelling or ever abroad, you would always see Chinese people in particular wearing masks at airports, uh, etc. Is it going to become the norm for all of us? It'll be. It's 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 very much a wait and see. Uh, can can Adam ever foresee another nationwide lockdown or is this it? Well, I know the health minister was on another radio station this morning. I was listening to him speak and he was asked that exact question and his answer was he hopes not. Now, the government have never wanted to go into these lockdown situations. It's incredibly damaging for the economy and for people's mental health and, and everything. But the two caveats that the government keep bringing up is that there is a fear that there could be a second Delta peak in the same way that's happening in Scotland. But if you look at Scotland, the restrictions haven't gone back. They haven't gone back to lockdown, nor have Israel. While some restrictions have come back in on the likes of group gatherings and mask wearing, they haven't gone full lockdown again. So that's positive. And then the only other fear then would be a new variant that, you know, maybe works its way around uh, the vaccine or is more transmissible. So that fear will remain. And as you pointed out at the start of the programme, I think that fear will remain until the majority of people in the world are vaccinated against this virus. Yeah. And but they are the government are expecting that numbers will rise, particularly with the reopening of schools. Yes, and the Taoiseach did warn last night, look, this isn't over and he said we do expect that this virus will continue to grow over the, the coming weeks. So the case numbers you've seen at the moment, which I think the past two days have been in and around the 1,300 mark, and we saw them reach 2,000 last week, they expect them to go up again. Now, the most optimistic um, NEFID prediction on this is about 2,500 cases a day for the peak, and that could last for a week or two before it starts to come down again in October. That's the most optimistic. Other than that, there's a, a series of phases that go down to, to say how high it could go. So the government still predict that this will be this wave will start to come down in October. And I'm told that the Doll Bar and Restaurant is to reopen today. It's been closed for much of the pandemic. It's been it has indeed. I actually took up politics in the sun just about two years ago, and the, the Doll Bar has been closed since. So it has. <laughs> so I'm I'm looking forward to enjoying a point in there. The, the bar is open, obviously, with the same sort of public health uh, restrictions that have been on the rest of the hospitality sector at the moment. OK, and you mentioned at the start 52 days, we're not saying to freedom, but 52 days to the lifting of restrictions. Somebody said, would you tell Adam it's 115 days to Santa Claus arriving in case you want to mark that one in your diary? <laughs> OK, Adam, listen, thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Adam Higgins, who is the political correspondent with The Sun uh, newspaper. Somebody has just is just wondering, will the wearing of masks continue in mass and at church services? Now, that's interesting because we've been told that mask wearing will remain in place after the 22nd of October in healthcare settings, 
indoor retail and on public transport. They are the only three settings that are mentioned and churches and religious ceremonies have not been mentioned. So I'm assuming from that that you will wear masks up to the 22nd of October and then come the 22nd of October the requirement to wear masks will be lifted except in healthcare settings, indoor retail and on public transport. But as everybody and the government are pains to point out a lot of this will be down to pub, down to personal responsibility. If you feel safer inside in a church wearing a mask then I'm assuming please continue to do it. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. The live entertainment sector had called on the government to include firm reopening dates when the roadmap out of restrictions were announced yesterday to see how the Taoiseach's address to the nation was received by that sector. I'm joined by Matt McGranahan of the Music and Entertainment Association of Ireland. Ireland. Good morning to you, Matt. And good morning, Matt. Good, good, good morning, Patricia. You're, you? I'm, I'm, I'm well, and you're very welcome to the program. Now, your industry, the longest waiting for the nod uh, to to reopen. Were you happy with what you heard yesterday? At least there was firm dates. Absolutely, Patricia, uh, and that was one of the things that we wanted. We wanted government to commit to naming a date, and you know we've got the sixth of September where we can see the return of live entertainment. Uh, and, and pubs, and weddings, uh, and theatres, and of course, you know, as we enter into this period of, I suppose, the absence of regulation, and into a period of personal responsibility <coughs> and personal judgment, that you know there are, <coughs> excuse me, there are certain restrictions in place for the meantime, but you know we're we're confident that these will be temporary measures, and you know by the twenty second of October. Uh, we'll we'll see the industry return to one hundred percent capacity. And yeah, because I, because you had requested a hundred percent capacity on the reopening, and you didn't get that for certainly not for September and into October. But Mia didn't request one hundred percent capacity. We actually even suge- suggested look, we requested getting to a hundred percent capacity, and we made the case that the industry is really only viable at that and from eighty percent up. So we made the case that we, we had to return to that. Uh, and in the absence of that, that there would be government subsidies or that there would be support put in place. Uh, but what we have at the moment, you know, 60%, uh, it's not going to see the return to normal in the short term, mm. you know, over the, the next seven weeks. But I think I think we should be positive and that we can, that theatres and, and, and venues, for example, can, can really focus on local talent, on local artists, and I think 60% as well will get the public used to coming back out to events and uh, to be in that. And I think that's a very important... Uh, and uh, and even the fact can, that you can up the numbers if it's vaccinated people. You know, I mean, I started the programme this morning talking about, you know, how high our vaccination rate is. You know, mm-hmm. 90% of over 18s are vaccinated. So the majority of people who will be heading back out to gigs and live events, the majority of them will be vaccinated. So you'll be able to have even higher numbers because they're vaccinated. Yeah, well, we have 60% capacity for indoors for venues. Um, the capacity percentages don't apply to pubs and bars. And that. So that's, that's a good thing as well. Uh, but the capacity percentages at the moment are 60% for indoors for vaccinated, 
75% outdoors for vaccinated. And then for outdoors, if you have uh, what the government are calling a mix of vaccination status, that vaccinated and non-vaccinated, they can have capacity of 50%. Um, and for indoor activities, if there's a mixture of vaccination statuses, unfortunately, the, the, the capacity is 50 people. Okay. And what about the POP uh, payments, Matt, uh, to some people in your industry? Uh, will they lose those? At the moment, we're still confident, I suppose, that, that the, the Department of Social Protection, Department of Culture and Arts, are working on this. Uh, the Taoiseach indicated that to us the other day. We've been, it's one of our top priorities since the 1st of June. We were one of the first groups to flag the issue regarding the transition to Job Seekers Alliance and how that would reclassify workers as unemployed and effectively prevent them from engaging in this, now that this new reopening process. That is a major issue. It's, there's a dual problem in it, Patricia. There's the financial element and then the status element of being reclassified as unemployed. And so we have to protect both of those. And whatever solution uh, comes in the line and comes down the way, then that has to protect those two elements. And we have received uh, clarification from the Department of Social Protection last night that the PUP, as as the moment is still set to transit or to reduce uh, on the 14th of September, but the transition to job seekers conditions has been deferred and will be deferred until maybe late September, early October, uh, in light of this industry and in light of the case that we have made for it. So we're hopeful that we can take advantage of that time now, that extra couple of weeks to uh, attempt to find a solution with, the, with both departments. Okay, and, and I know a number of our listeners were thrilled with the news that uh, dancing is back at weddings and live music back at weddings from as early as next Monday. Yeah, the, the, the scenario over the dancing is that it's, it's not exclusive to weddings. Um, the reality is that the, the legal prohibition of dancing, that regulation is being removed completely. Um, the public health advice still states for all live entertainment indoors that the audience spectators should remain uh, seated. So, uh, But again, we are entering into a period now of personal judgment, personal responsibility and, and, and not of, of regulatory behaviour. So that's to be welcomed. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And festivals, Matt, do you think, do they drop the ball? Could we have had some festivals this year, particularly when you hear what the likes of like Tony Houlihan was talking about and with so many people coming forward and young people in particular coming forward to get vaccinated? Was it a missed opportunity not to have some of the festivals this year? Completely, uh, Patricia. We have had many missed opportunities, I feel, over the past few months. Uh, Hindsight is such a great educator. But unfortunately, I suppose when you consider that the industry were, were saying we, we could do this and we could do that. And now with hindsight, the government have said, yes, we probably could have done that. But we have to move forward. We have to look to the future. We have come out of a, a period of 18 months where the, you know Irish society and, and everyone in Ireland has been affected in some way by this pandemic. Some so much worse than others. Uh, and our industry has been devastated seriously impacted and, and, and we're coming out of a period of very much uncertainty and darkness and finally from Monday on there is hope, there is light at the end of the tunnel we still need to support 
or workers, we still need certain protections to remain in place till next year. And we want to build upon this engagement that this sort of commercial sector has had within, with government and to create an, uh, a much bigger, better industry, uh, and one that will protect its workers and protect the, the art and the industry that we have on a world stage. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you're a fantastic industry and as I said at the outset, you were the first uh, to go and you certainly are the last to open but at least now light at the end of the tunnel. Matt, yeah. listen, as always, a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for that. Thank and th- you, Thanks for joining us. Good morning to Thank you. That you. is uh, Matt McGranahan who is with the Music and Entertainment Association of Ireland as people celebrate the fact that she can dance at a wedding from next Monday. And then people are social dancing. I mean, I, I'm looking to, looking at what they're talking about indoor live events with up to 50% capacity for vaccinated or recovered people. Would that not include ballroom dancing and social dancing? Because I see others are saying that dan- that that indoor dancing and social dancing and ballroom dancing is not back until the 20th of September. But looking at the what you're allowed to do from next Monday, I'm wondering, will some groups decide to see are they covered under the indoor live events? If you've an indoor live event with up to 50% capacity, so if you have a community hall that can normally take, can take, I don't know, 300 people, if you reduce that to 50%, if everyone's vaccinated, say to 150 people, could they not do ballroom dancing? 1850 There'll be lots of little tests like that where people will try to circumnavigate and see can something be done ahead of an official date. Uh, your, your thoughts are welcome. John Paul's taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your thoughts coming in. Helen in Formoy says what she is worried about is, she said, I go into a cafe or a restaurant and the person at the door will ask me for my COVID certificate. Am I entitled to ask them for theirs? I'm worried about being served by unvaccinated people. We had a lady contact us who works in hospitality, who said that very issue was drawn to her attention. Some people get very shirty about being asked for their COVID certificates. And she made the point to us last week or the week before that it's the, you know, the regulation is there at the moment that, you know, by law, she has to ask people, do they have their COVID certificates? And she said often people will get, you know, a bit funny with her and saying, well, are you vaccinated? And she said, I have no problem at all in saying, yes, I am fully vaccinated. But she did make the point that not everybody, not all of the younger staff at that stage were fully vaccinated, but many of them were, had started their vaccination journey, but they had to wait the month for their second shot and then a week after that to be uh, fully vaccinated. So... Is it, it, it isn't in the law that you can ask somebody. We know that for a fact. And with the going back to work, it's going to become a problem that seemingly by because of GDPR and privacy issues, you can't ask somebody if you're sitting next to somebody at an office desk, are you vaccinated or not? I know certainly where we are where we are here, everybody knows everybody. And we all know we when, when people got vaccinated and when people didn't get vaccinated. Now, that's just those of us that are all here in the building, physically working together. When other people come back into the office, will we will everyone be vaccinated? Will we be entitled to know? No. I mean, that's that's the way it is. I mean, all 
all you, Helen, all you can do is if you go into a restaurant and you're again, it's personal responsibility. If you don't feel safe somewhere and you don't like, you don't feel safe because you think the person serving you isn't vaccinated, then, you know, it's, you just don't go into that uh, establishment. But no, you're not entitled by law to ask somebody if they're vaccinated or not. And remember, from the 22nd of October, you won't be asked about your COVID certificate anymore uh, because that will be gone. Uh, people will be allowed into restaurants and into pubs and into cafes and whether you're vaccinated or not vaccinated it will be gone on the 22nd of October because actually somebody else was asking about that. Jack was asking about the COVID passport and when when can we get rid of those when can we get rid of those and as I say from the 22nd the requirement to show the COVID digital certificate at an indoor event will end and that will open up all indoor hospitality to full capacity however your COVID digital certificate will still be required to travel abroad and it was it's likely it seems that it will remain the case for several months yet because that digital COVID certificate is the EU one so that will be at the discretion of the EU so certainly for travel you're going to need your COVID certificate even though John Paul said somebody was on this morning saying that they didn't get their their digital certificate wasn't checked when they arrived in Cork Airport but remember it's when you board the plane is when your certificate gets checked. It's one of the reasons that there were so many delays at airports. Dublin Airport, for example, there was a lot of people, over 100 people missed their flight, I think it was on Saturday, uh, because of the delays at security. Because, you know, when you go to security, you show your passport and you show your boarding pass. Now you have to show your digital certificate as well. So it's getting on to the plane that they need to assess who has a digital certificate or if not, who has a, a PCR test. But when you get off, you don't have to be checked again. The idea being that you get checked before you get on to the plane. So for don't get rid of your digital COVID certificate is what I'm trying to say to people. Hang on to them because if you're planning international travel, you're certainly going to uh, need them. OK, I can see some questions coming in for Peter. Keep those coming. Uh, hi, Patricia. This is from uh, John in Roscommon, obviously listening to us online. So, Patricia, there's all mention about nightclubs opening. There's mentioning about numbers going back into uh, churches. There's mentioning of gatherings for live music, but I've heard nothing mentioned about GAA matches. Can you update us, uh, please? Well, GAA, uh, GAA specifically wasn't mentioned yesterday, but what was mentioned was sports stadiums and large venues. And for sports stadiums, they can have up to 75% capacity for vaccinated people or people fully recovered from COVID-19. So sports stadiums then if it's an outdoor venue they can have 50% capacity if they're opting not to ask people if they're vaccinated or not. So if they're having a mixture of vaccinated and unvaccinated it's 50% capacity but if they go just with vaccinated people, sports venues and I'm assuming that would obviously include the GAA can have 75% capacity capacity if it's vaccinated or people who've recovered from uh, COVID-19. Joan says, Hi Patricia, I feel safer wearing a mask inside in a church and I will continue to wear it for another while for sure. While I was at Mass yesterday, there was one person who never stopped sneezing and that's the point I'm making about people going on public transport as well. All you need is somebody sneezing, somebody coughing and you know, we're September, start of September now, we're going to be going into the flu season, the cough and cold season and we're going to have lots of people getting you know head colds and whatever and sneezing but everyone straight away is going oh my god is is that COVID-19 or not and what I'm 
thinking is going to happen as well. When we do start presenting with all of these different flus and sinus infections and head colds, etc. Will we all be heading off to get a COVID uh, test? I imagine that's going to be with us uh, for quite some time. Eileen says, Patricia, was there any mention or any talk about hand hygiene and the use of hand gel? There wasn't, but I'm assuming that the good hand hygiene and the good hand hygiene etiquette and the cough etiquette that we all got used to were, of course, going to be told to continue with that. Will there be hand gel as we're walking into supermarkets and retail outlets after the 22nd of October. I'm thinking not because if all restrictions are being lifted from the 22nd of October and the only restriction being left in place is the wearing of masks in retail outlets um, and in, in health and on public transport, health settings and on public transports, do I assume then that businesses don't have to provide hand gel doors? Some shops might decide to still run with that. But, you know, what I would be suggesting and certainly what I always do, I always have a small little bottle of hand gel in my bag with me because, you know, you can go somewhere and people are out of hand gel. Or sometimes you might, if there's, a you know, people going in and everyone's gathered around where the hand sanitizer is I prefer to walk on and just take out the hand sanitizer out of my bag and, and do it myself so if you're I would suggest Eileen have a little bottle of it in your bag with you yourself Hi Patricia do you know when flights from Cork Airport will be back to uh, nor- normal Okay Cork Airport the closure this is due to the major runway upgrade works the closure is happening on the 13th of this month and then it's closing. It's about 10 weeks isn't it? The 22nd of November is when Cork Airport expects to reopen so I'm assuming after the 22nd of November you is when the airport opens and I'm, I'm assuming you'll see more flights on board after that date so the 22nd of November. And then a listener says Hi Patricia I always listen to your show thank you for that. I got the Pfizer vaccine two weeks ago and ever since I got the vaccine I'm very anxious. I've read and heard so much about side effects and long term effects online that it's scaring me a lot. People are saying so many scary side effects about the vaccine. It's now making me very, very anxious. I'm a 29 year old. Thank you for reading my text. Firstly, well done on getting the Pfizer vaccine. Second, just be very careful about what you read online. And what you have to remember, particularly when you see very scary items being mentioned, if you dig deep into who's behind putting up these facts and all of these scary information and information about long-term effects and the side effects, you will find that it is anti-vaxxers. It's people who are against vaccinations full stop and they want to do everything in their power to get as much misinformation out to people in the hope that they'll persuade somebody like you not to get the vaccine. Now, they didn't because you went along and you got it. You have another two weeks to go to get your second shot and then a week later, you're going to be fully protected. You're protecting yourself. Remember, we also get vaccines to protect people that we live with, people that we work with, even to protect random strangers that you might meet when you're out and about. So you've done the very, very right thing. What I would say to you, if you are reading a lot online, either stop reading anything online or else go to sources where you know that you are going to get 100% genuine medical advice. And if you even, when I saw your text come in, I just, it, you know, I said, God, God help this 29 year old. My heart went out to you because we don't want anybody feeling anxious or nervous just because they've done the right thing by getting vaccinated. But just on a quick Google uh, search on the amount of misinformation that's out there about vaccines and you get pages and pages of stuff coming from really good recognised websites 
websites like things like, you know, John Hopkins in the States, even the FDA in the States put out a really good piece that... uh, came out about a month ago now on the 10 rumours about COVID-19 vaccines that aren't true and they go through all of the myths and I guarantee you of the 10 you've probably read some of these myths like one of them saying you know the vaccines can lead to long-term effects it is completely false even the very very tiny percentage of people who get an allergic reaction, for example, that occurs within minutes of receiving the vaccine and they're aware of it. Remember in the very early days there was some anaphylactic shocks and but they straight away realised what was going on and were able to help the people and were able to advise them on what to do uh, going forward and, you know, nobody died as a, as a result of it. So they know what they're looking out, out for. And you think about the tens of millions of people around the world who have received that very same Pfizer vaccine that you have received. There are no long-term side effects to worry about. That's what all of the medical experts are saying. So there's a lot of websites that you can go to to get the accurate uh, in information. But the fact that you're saying in your text you're, you're so anxious, do you know what I would suggest you do is maybe have a chat with your, your GP, bring up your GP you might even get a telephone consultation with your GP, even with the practice nurse in your, in your GP practice and go through what you're anxious about, go through what you've been reading and they will certainly allay your fears. But try your very best to steer well clear of articles that go up on social media and articles that you find that are just deliberately being put out there to try to scare you and go to the very recognised websites. Even our own hse.ie, I think, have done outstanding work on their websites. We we rely on their websites so much to get uh, information. Gov.ie, our own government website, again, lots of really good information. So there's loads of places where you can go to get the correct and the accurate information. But just be, and I give that as a general one to everyone, just be careful. Because I was so annoyed in recent weeks to see some of the anti-vax brigade who were, as uh, Joe Duffy said, body snatching. They were trawling through RIP.ie and if they found any young person that had died, they would go onto that young person's social media account and if there was photographs on the social media of a young person proudly saying, oh, I got vaccinated, they then would start a campaign to say, oh, this person died because they got the vaccine. Families who are deeply, deeply grieving the loss of a young person who, which had nothing to do with getting the vaccine then had to go public and come out to try to get these anti-vaxxers to stop using the names and the photographs of their loved ones to spout absolutely fake news and it was just so annoying and just so heartbreaking for those families who were already suffering the loss of a loved one who died from, in some cases, in one particular case, it was a long-term illness. It was a a young woman who had been sick since, I think it was about the age of uh, six. And there was other cases I heard of, very sad cases that had nothing to do with a death due to a vaccine. But these anti-vaxxers are just... They have no morals. They have absolutely no uh, morals. So just look after yourself. Have a chat with your doctor, particularly about your anxiety. And well done on getting vaccinated. You're on the journey to staying safer. And remember, there are a lot more side effects and a lot more long-term effects if, God forbid, you were to get COVID-19 and hadn't been vaccinated. Talk to any person and particularly people in your own age group who's suffering from long COVID and we don't know how many years they're going to be suffering from long COVID 
all because they didn't get or their vaccine wasn't available to them. So you've done absolutely the right thing to protect your, not just yourself, you're protecting yourself, you're protecting your loved, loved ones and you're protecting vulnerable people around you. So well done you and go you. 1850-333-103 and a listener who is not happy with the government and the return to 100% of public uh, transport. This listener, no name of the text, this listener reckons it should have been late, left until October 22nd when the all of the other restrictions are removed. It's only then we should be allowing the full return to 100% on public transport. And now to hear this morning that it wasn't endorsed by Neffert. It is giving people a false sense of security. They'll blame the vi- virus for subsequent deaths, not their foolhardy decision. Time is of the f- essence with this uh, virus. We also need to know how many people are dying every uh, day. They've resolved the computer problems with the HSE. Why are we not getting the figures? And I've got John Paul looking into that to check. Are we not back getting the figures on the daily deaths every day? I know John Paul was looking into that uh, for us, but a listener anyway feeling is where it's too early yet to return to 100% capacity on public transport. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. C103 Jobs. Picky scaffolding. They have vacancies for qualified scaffolders and scaffolding labourers. It's for the Cork and Kerry areas. You email your CV to hickeyscaffolding at gmail.com. Civil engineer required for a well-known building construction company in the Cork area. CVs please to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. Person wanted for school collection and after school care in the Domanway area 086 0612428 and a support worker wanted to support women in treatment for addiction. CVs please to edaily at kunvira.ie You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Now the pandemic has put enormous strain on asthmatic children and the Asthma Society of Ireland has urged parents to prepare for the new school term. Joining me with words of advice is Sarah O'Connor who is the Chief Executive of the Asthma Society. Good morning to you Sarah. Good morning, Patricia, and to all of your listeners. And you're very welcome to the programme. I suppose start by talking me through how difficult the pandemic has been for asthmatic children and indeed their parents. Um, well, I suppose, Patricia, if you think about it, we've been through the most extraordinary 18 months. And it's interesting that I'm speaking to you um, the morning after the uh, Taoiseach has announced, I suppose, a, a, a fairly major change to our status. Um, in that, you know, there's a little bit of reflection going on in my brain as to what we have been through and what asthma parents or children or patients generally have been through. And I suppose it's been um, a very stressful time and a very traumatic time. Um, if you think back 18 months ago, um, you know, all of a sudden we were all in this work from home, schools are closed, don't leave your house, here's all of the new, um, uh, I suppose, social distancing language even to get used to, let alone all of the actions and behaviour changes we needed to make. And for people with asthma over the course of the last eighteen months, the level of anxiety has been absolutely huge because it has taken a very long time for us to understand this new illness, this um, COVID-19, what it means, how, we, how it impacts on us, what it means for people with underlying conditions like asthma. And I suppose we have all grappled with that 
Now, for us in Development Society, essentially we put down a lot of um, the projects that we would work with routinely to support patients through the last 18 months. And so our focus has really been on asthma management and getting asthma management right to keep the person additionally safe from COVID or to keep them, uh, their underlying condition controlled so that if anybody did contract COVID, they were kept um, really safe. Um, and that, I suppose, has had very real-life ramifications for us in the Asthma Society in that it meant all of our fundraising stopped and a lot of funded projects had to stop. We believed it was absolutely essential to support patients through that, um, but it has um, it has meant for a very tough financial year for us this year. So yeah. if any of your listeners are interested in donating, I, I'd invite them to go to our website. But for patients, for parents and for children, um, it has meant that they have really had to think about how is my asthma managed? Am I feeling well? Am I um, doing all of the things that my doctor, my GP or my consultant might advise? How do I get help and advice? Do I know enough about asthma? All of those pieces have been, you know, really at the forefront of parents and children's minds. And the return to school last year, last September, and again this September in particular has been a very anxiety-inducing experience for parents and for children um, on our services whether it's on our advice line where we have telephone appointments with our nurse over the phone and whether it's on our um, WhatsApp um, messaging service with our nurse um, or whether it's through our website queries, our social media um, and our information services, we are hearing day in, day out from parents that they're very worried about the return to school this September. And traditionally, um, Patricia, September is a challenging month for children or for adults with asthma because you have a kind of a confluence of events. You have the temperature dropping um, and that can make it hard for people to manage because that can be a prompt for asthma. You have traditional cold and flu season kicking off. And then for children, you have a return to that group setting of school whereby that cold and flu piece is shared among the fuller group. And so what that means is um, we experience what clinicians or doctors or nurses call the September spike in asthma, which means that children um, with asthma experience more more GP visits, out-of-hours GP visits, um, the more A&E visits and more hospital admissions. And for parents, that means um, they're missing work, their children are missing school, their children are sick, they're very worried about their well-being, and also additional cost and financial strain when we all know that September is an expensive and a challenging month for parents to manage anyway. Yeah, so and then, us, yeah, and then you add to that that when a child does come down with a cold or a flu or a, or a cough, straight away people are thinking, could this be COVID? Could this be COVID, mm. exactly, exactly. Could this be COVID and my child is... Um, you know, in particular, somebody to worry about if they contracted COVID. Um, so, you know, there's, there's, there's layers of worry going on there. And even prior to COVID, we would find that September was the most anxiety-inducing month for parents. But you can imagine that that's multiplied um, at this point. So we held a webinar last night for parents and, um, and guardians of children with asthma. And um, people were able to register for that through our website. And at the moment, we are um, working on the recording for that webinar. And we'll be able to share that with people over Brilliant. the course of the next 24-48 hours. And we've also worked up a school's return pack, which includes a number of materials, but in particular we have a back-to-school checklist which literally um, gives the really good basics of how to get asthma management right at home, 
how to talk to your GP and get a review and maybe how to assess if you need a review and how to speak to the school and then also what free services we offer to coach and support and guide parents as they try to get their September right so that their winter goes right. Because I'm assuming... Yeah, yeah, go on. Any of your listeners want a copy? If any of your listeners want uh, to to get a copy of that, I'm going to recommend that they send an email to nurse at asthma.ie and we will send them the copy of the checklist but also the rest of the packs all about managing the um, anxiety, the kind of stuff that was covered in the webinar. And we'll also send them a link to the recording of the webinar that they can watch back at their leisure at any point over the next week that suits them because um, we know obviously people are very busy this week with the return to work and the idea is that we make it as readily available to, uh, to parents or guardians as possible to support them through this time. Should children always have an inhaler with them when they're heading into school? Yeah, so that's our really strong recommendation. And I suppose that's one of the things that really came through last night that parents are worried about. Um, And it's interesting, Patricia, because we had a webinar for schools last June and the feedback from schools we're digesting at the moment. But basically, teachers kind of fed back to us and said they didn't feel like they were adequately prepared to manage asthma in the classroom. They didn't feel confident that they had enough information at their fingertips to know enough about it. They were concerned that they didn't have an emergency inhaler available in school in case a child couldn't tell them where it was or didn't know where it was or had forgotten it. Um, And they also felt that their school was at risk um, of an asthma attack or a serious asthma attack um, because they just didn't have the supports that they would expect. And yesterday's webinar with parents fed back from the opposite side, which is that parents were really anxious that their child didn't have access to their inhaler, maybe wasn't, you know, because depending on the age of a child, they might not be on top of having their um, inhaler, that that wasn't available to them. And so for us, between the two webinars, the feedback and the thoughts that we're getting from parents and teachers, we are really trying to commit to and trying to lobby for additional funding for our school's programme, which will allow teachers to get proper training, for materials to be provided in the school, to help other uh, children to know if a child has asthma what to do or how to ask for help and also to make sure that teachers have the first aid training they need and an emergency inhaler available in every school in the country. And so for us, we're looking for funding either from the public um, or from trusts and foundations or from the states to make sure that that school's programme happens as soon as possible. Because really our greatest worry is that a teacher and pupils and a child will experience a very serious asthma emergency in school and that can be fatal in some instances and well, we just desperately want to avoid that scenario happening. And that's why it's so important that a parent, particularly a child going into a new school, yes. our, our new teacher, that new the teacher. teacher is aware that your son or daughter has asthma. Has asthma or, for example, one of the complicating factors, Patricia, is if a child is under the age of six or eight, they may not have had a formal diagnosis of asthma, but they may be getting medication and being treated as though they have it because the diagnosis of asthma can only follow after a particular formal test has happened and young children can't do that test. So really part of this is for us to support parents and to give them the confidence to know I should still be telling my teacher, even if the doctor has said to me, we're not sure, we think it's probably asthma and we'll treat it as such. But it's still important to go in to tell the teacher to give them a spare inhaler in a lunchbox with a label on it that's kept in the teacher's classroom in a safe place. The teacher knows where it is. That's really, really important. Um, And we would, I suppose, all of our services, including our free advice line, 
um, and our WhatsApp messaging service are all based around helping and supporting the parent to have that conversation with the teacher, to help the teacher to know enough and to feel supported through it. And really for us to give people a really good basis that they understand um, the, the asthma and the basic level themselves and also that they're capable of building the little tribe of asthma people um, uh, around any given child to keep them safe, whether they're at home, they're at school, they're in their club, etc, etc. Yeah, OK. And of course, with homeschooling and not meeting up with uh, friends due to uh, restrictions, this isn't just for children with asthma, it'll be all children. Some kids' confidence will be dented and going back to school, it can be difficult enough, but you know, their confidence can, has taken a bit of a bashing this year and last year. Yeah, so I mean, kids find change challenging. I mean, some kids love it, but some kids find change challenging. And if you think about it, um, there might be a child who has never returned to school after a diagnosis with asthma, so they may not know. One of the parents was feeding back to us last night on the webinar that her child had had a severe attack before she left school in the summer and she's scared about returning to work and what if, or sorry, returning to school and what if she has an asthma attack there. So that's another big change for a child like that. But you might also have a child, for example, who's in a new classroom, who's sitting next to new kids even. So it's not even that it's a new class to them, but they're sitting next to somebody new and how do they say, oh, I have asthma and I might need to take my inhaler. You might have children who are suddenly self-conscious and they are embarrassed about the need to take their medication or they may have a teacher who doesn't understand asthma as well as their previous teacher did. Um, so all of those things are, are change points, they're transition points, and I suppose our services exist to support parents and guardians through that, and by extension to support children through it. Um, we exist to, to offer those services for free, so I'd really encourage any of your parents or grandparents or guardians or teachers who, who might be listening and who might think, gosh, I know a kid like that, or I know a kid who's facing that challenge. I need more information. On, on yeah. the advice line. And so what happens is they phone into us and Ellen on our reception will take the call and yeah. she arranges the half hour nurse appointment at a time that suits um, the, the parent or guardian um, or caller. Um, so, uh, for example, I think we have five appointments free on this coming Friday but uh, and we have some free the following week and we will have an influx then of new appointments available the weeks after that. Well so if well people call into us, we can arrange those for them to give them the support they need. Okay, you do fantastic work at the Asthma Society and to get that pack about going back to school and tips on going back to school, if you can email nurse at asthma.ie. Sarah, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Okay, thanks so much. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. Bye. Sarah O'Connor, Chief Executive of the Asthma Society of Ireland. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. A little library has been installed in the very popular regional park in Ballincollig and it's in honour of a local secondary school teacher who sadly passed away last year. The family of Pat Meany, who taught English at Colosh the Column for 15 years, decided to install the library to make sure that Pat's memory lived on. Pat's wife, Mary Meany, uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Mary. Good morning, Patricia. And firstly, well done to you and all the family. This is such a beautiful uh, concept. I take it as an English teacher, Pat had a great love of books. A great love of books. Our house is full of books. (laughs) A great love of learning and uh, a a great love of imparting knowledge. And did he instill in his pupils that love of reading? Oh, absolutely. The the, the positive comments since we put up the library are enormous. Wasn't that brilliant? Now, you started with a bench to remember Pat in the park. Talk me through how you came up with the idea for the little library. 
Um, well, first, as, I say, as you said, I put in the bench and then I thought, and this is the way I, I, I described it at the time, wouldn't it, lo- wouldn't it be lovely if there was a, a box of books next to Pat's bench? And we discussed it among our family and then ju- just did a bit of research and then we found somebody who could make a library for us and then we discussed it with Jack in the in the regional park and he was most accommodating and encouraging. And um, about five weeks, we had the bench made and it was sitting in my garage here for almost a year. And then about five weeks ago, I approached Jack in the regional park to know, could we install it? And I asked him if at all possible, could he do it the end of August? Because my other daughter, Natasha, would have had, it was coming home for her first trip with COVID and all that. And again, he accommodated us. So it went in last Friday and we filled it with uh, my grandchildren on on Saturday. And it's, it's, it's I, 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 this is where I'd love to be on TV so I could show it. It's this, it's a gorgeous wooden structure. Who, who, That's made, right. who made it for a, you? A, a friend of my other daughter, Sharon, a, a gentleman by the name of Ollie Maxweeney. He made one in uh, Carrick Tool, I think. And he's in the process of making another one now for a gentleman who passed away. And the, uh, d- but the doors close on it, do it so they're in bad... They do, yeah. they do. The doors close. There's, there's a little bolt. There's two doors and a little bolt on each door. And it's a free library. People can take a book, borrow a book or donate yes. a book. Or donate a book, yes, yes. Absolutely. Uh, this morning, now I'm going down there in a while now because I have a load of children's books that were donated. Um so people are giving you books now to put they into are, They are, they <laughs> are, absolutely. It's magic, it's magic. And is it just children's books? Oh no, both adults, children's books. Somebody gave me a load of cookery books yesterday, so they're gone in. Um, all sorts of books. But I think more so, uh, I got great satisfaction over the weekend in seeing uh, children uh, with their parents coming and reading books and sitting on the picnic benches and having just quality family time reading books. It was just great. Oh, isn't that? Yeah, because you'd often be out like that in in a park on a fine summer's day and the children would be playing away, but then they might get a little bit bored. And to be able yes. to go and pick up a book and say, come on, we'll read a story. Yes, exactly. Uh, exactly. And yes. you're, you're getting great joy from that, Mary. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's a wonderful place to go because where the bench and the library are situated, it's, it's overlooking the lee. Um, it's just under Inniscarra Bridge and uh, it's just a magical setting. And now with the library there, I think it makes it more more magical. And did did Pat have a particular grow for that park? Oh, absolutely. Did Pat it? and I would have gone down there, God, five out of seven days a week. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. And yeah. now you can go back there and just have all the happy memories, but know uh, that he'll always be remembered with this. Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 yeah. it really is brilliant. And are you getting great reaction, Mary? Oh, absolutely. It is it is so uplifting the reaction. I didn't expect it. Um, it it's just it's just great. You, you know the amount of interest and the amount uh, the amount of positive interest. And out of such great family sadness, you can bring joy. Exactly, exactly, God. and continues continue past love of learning. Yeah, and uh, imparting the knowledge. It's it's brilliant. And you mentioned the grandchildren are helping you out. Oh, they are. Yeah, are they? we have we have five grandchildren ranging in age from twelve down to two six year olds. 
And are they have they donated some of their own books? Oh, they have. have they, they have. Yes, <laughs> they have indeed. Yes, but it's wonderful. It is absolutely a wonderful, uh, well done. And I'd love to see others maybe pick up on this idea and and copy yes. it. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. I believe it's all over in different parts of Europe. I think Germany in particular. Yeah, it's lovely. I think it's very popular, yeah. Okay, somebody's saying where in the regional park in Ballincollig is the library? It, 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 the library is off the main car park, okay. uh, down on the road towards Inishkara. And it's right, it's more or less under the, under the bridge. And have you a little plaque up to say who it's in memory of? Or? Oh yeah, it's yeah. called Pat. Free Little Library. Ah, that's beautiful. That really is beautiful. Yeah. Listen, yeah. Uh, it's a credit to each and every one of your your family and such a lovely, lovely tribute and memory uh, to Pat. I'm sure he's smiling down on uh, everyone and anyone who goes into the Regional Park in Ballincollig, feel free to pick up, read a book, borrow yes. a book, take a book and give a book because that's, exactly. that's what it's exactly. all about. Yeah. Good yeah. luck with it, Mary. Thanks, thanks, thanks for your interest. Oh, well, Take care. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Uh, good morning to you. Bye bye. Mary Meany there, uh, wife of the late Pat uh, Meany. That really is is beautiful. And uh, just the facts that Pat, as an English teacher, and I'm sure lots of his pupils will remember him when he was an English teacher at Kiloshta Column, where he taught for, for 15 years. Just the fact that he had a love of reading and that now in his memory that love of reading is being passed on well done to all of the Beanie family 1850 I can see some gardening questions coming in for Peter you can keep those coming uh, to us please you can ring John Paul or you can text or WhatsApp them to 0862 103 103 and my apologies to John in Roscommon who was texting us earlier and I mentioned that he must be listening to us online because I was thinking the radio station doesn't reach as far as Roscommon but he sent in another text and he's explaining in this text that he's not listening to us online he's actually listening to us on the radio because he's working at the moment he is located here to us in Cork he's working on the McCroom bypass but he is originally from uh, Roscommon so John sorry I assume straight away when I saw your text that you were listening online but he's back on with another text because when I mention about how some of the anti-vax people have just so insensitively going through RIP.ie and they're taking pictures and details of young people that have passed away and then they go onto their social media and if they see that they've had a COVID pass, you know the way lots of people put up um, our COVID vaccine lots of people have put up on their Instagram or their Facebook oh I was vaxxed today and people put up photographs of themselves at vaccination centres etc very proudly showing off the fact that they had got their vaccine and these anti-vaxxers unfortunately are trying to make out that the person died because they got the vaccine and then families very very distressed bereaved families have had to go public have had to come out and ask uh, people to please take it down and it's not true their loved one died very sadly very tragically in some cases and it was nothing to do with getting a vaccine John in Roscommon is saying surely if that is happening that Facebook can track down who put up the piece John says he knows of a lad who got banned from Facebook for swearing for putting up some kind of commentary online that contained swear words and he was banned well 
but the problem is it isn't as easy as that, uh, John, unfortunately, because one particular family that I know that have been really trying to get their loved ones photograph removed from this anti-vax brigade. The problem is that it keeps getting shared and shared and shared because the anti-vax people are in groups where they have, you know, hundreds of other other people who are anti-vax and they'll share it on and they'll share it on and it gets shared worldwide. And I know that they've contacted a lot of the social media pages who say, you know, not a lot we can do because it's been shared so many times. So it isn't as easy as that. I think the only way for a lot of the anti, a lot of the known anti-vax people is to actually go to the high court. And that takes a lot of money. And as I say, we are talking about families who are deeply grieving the loss of a young person without having to try to negotiate and, and go down through that route, even if they had the funding to take it to the uh, High Court. But thanks to thanks for listening, John, as you continue to work on that wonderful bypass that is happening in McCroom. Trish, one of our listeners, contacted us with an incident that happened to her uh, this morning. She was inside in a shop and she heard somebody mutter something. And you know the way so your attention gets drawn to something and she turned behind her and realised there was two people standing there and they weren't wearing masks so so this other woman was obviously muttering oh look at them without their masks on so Trish sort of had spare masks in her bag disposable ones and turned around one of them she said was uh, you know a youngish girl and she turned around and said um you know, did you forget your mask? Here, I have a spare one. You know, trying to be nice, trying to be polite. And with that, she got a, a torrent of abuse from the other person uh, saying, I don't believe in wearing masks. I'm not going to wear a mask. No one's going to make me wear a mask. It's all made up for chemical companies so that they can make money. God, I've heard all of the excuses why COVID has been made, been made up and invented. Anyway, Trish says she kind of, you know, was you know a bit aggressive and she just said, I just left the shop. I, you know, walked off. And she said, she continued on with her shopping. Next, the pair followed her in to the next shop that she went into, confronted her again. And Trish even apologised and said, look, if it's a misunderstanding in the last shop, I just thought I was being helpful by offering you a mask. And she said it was quite confrontational and they were quite aggressive and challenging Trish. And she ended up packing up and just leaving and going home and forgetting about her shopping trip. And she said, you know, she was only trying to help because we've all... I certainly would put my hand up and say I've done that I've walked into a shop just sometimes when you're a bit distracted and I walked in without a mask on I would love if Trish had approached me and say if you got your mask do you want one I'd, I'd have taken the hand and all off of you uh, Trish because I was embarrassed when I realised I was just at the checkout and it was just in grab something and got to the checkout and I realised when I got to the checkout that I'd forgotten my mask so I went left very quickly but yeah and all she was trying to do was help somebody out but you just don't know but she said now because of it she said I don't think I'll ever approach somebody with an offer of help again because she said, you know, she didn't like the attitude and how aggressive they were towards her just because she was trying to do her good deed uh, for the uh, day. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. To cmig.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Killarney listening by WhatsApp saying hi Patricia it's all doom and gloom with predictions for September weather I hope the promised and eagerly awaited Indian summer materialises uh, yeah I know I think the Indian summer was meant to happen across the last two weeks and we have had nice weather across the last two two weeks but our Killarney listener is right the early indications are suggesting it's going to turn rather unsettled next week spells of rain and blustery winds I think it's kicking in from about the weekend I think the rain and at the moment the early indication of that rain is going to be with us across next week so enjoy what is ev- what is left of the fine weather that we're experiencing at the moment can I go back to Thank you to that listener for that text. Can I go back to yesterday? Remember Catherine, one of our listeners, uh, contacted us because she was in her local AIB bank and she went into the kiosk. She wanted to print off her own statements and there was a sign up saying that she wouldn't be able to print off uh, statements from a certain date. She went to ask the teller and the teller said, yeah, this is coming in and uh, people are are printing off too many statements and that you can go online and everything is online and Catherine was making the point that not everybody has access to online and in her own case she doesn't have a printer and there are many people who don't have printers so if she wants to print them off at home from her own if she's using an online app she won't be able to do it and you know the other people don't have access to broadband etc uh, so we said that we would send an email off to AIB to find out what is going on and they told us yesterday in order to reduce paper there you go. And waste. Customers will no longer be able to print statements at kiosks at AIB branches from the 22nd of September. But they say the customers can still access their statements through their mobile app or internet banking and they can continue to order a copy of their statement at a kiosk or call them for a copy. So they'll send you out one or you can order one. But you're, they're, you're <laughs> trying to reduce paper. I've heard of loads of reasons as to why they're not giving a service but to reduce paper and waste. That's the reason. So thank you to Catherine who brought that to our attention because we were unaware of it. So to all other AIB customers, if you normally go into your local branch, because it isn't just happening at one branch, it's at all branches from the 22nd of September. You will no longer be able to print off your statements. John in Cove contacted us. He is a tenant in a council house and he's bringing up the fact that council tenants in council houses have started to receive letters. Yes, Well, he got his yesterday stating that there will be a review of the rent. He said it's a yearly rental review and he is fearful now that when you get a yearly rent Rent review, what does it mean? He fears that rents are going to increase. And of course, 
the yearly rental review is based on the income coming into the house so it's based on your earnings. He said at the end of the day we still have people who are struggling through this pandemic. Many people have lost their jobs are their hours have been cut or their pay has been cut he cannot understand how councillors voted to have a yearly rent review. Uh, shame on those councillors according to John and Cove. The only one thing I would see, see for about that about a yearly rent review John if your income hasn't changed then obviously your rent is going to remain the same but if as you say and you're right there will be people living in council houses whose rent has decreased or whose wages have decreased and their income has decreased because of the very reasons you cite. People will have lost jobs, people, hours will have been uh, reduced or maybe people have ended up on the PUP payments. So for those people whose income coming into the house has reduced, they'll need that yearly rent review so that they can say to the council there's less money coming in and the knock-on effect of that will be surely that they will see their rent decrease. The only people that will see a rent increase is if the income, because that's how the rent is decided, is based on the income coming into the uh, house. So it could end up as a plus for those very people that you're saying who have suffered because of the uh, pandemic. 1850 John, in the city, this is on hand hygiene. When somebody was saying that they listened with great interest to the Taoiseach last night, but there was no mention of washing of hands and hand gel. And is that going to uh, disappear? John says, I feel that the hygiene factor and the hand hygiene in particular needs to be kept in place. Children should be taught in school because if you teach children in school proper hand hygiene, they'll keep the pressure on their parents. He also hopes that hand sanitizers does remain in all uh, public places. He would go so far as to say access into public buildings should only be allowed. There should be some mechanism put in place that once you use the hand sanitizer, then the doors will open. And if you don't hand sanitize, you shouldn't be allowed into a building where there are other people. And I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about shops as well uh, with that, because he reckons some people do, simply do not wash their hands properly. And then remember, I mentioned Trish before news at twelve, who had an incident this morning in the shop when she thought somebody had forgotten the mask and offered she had some spare mass in her bag and offered to give the person one and got that face taken off her by somebody saying that they don't believe in COVID and it was only made up so chemical companies could make money. Well a couple of people commenting on that. Sean says I feel at this stage people need to mind their own business get on with your own shopping and don't be worried about what other people are doing. Magella says I know Trish was only doing good but I feel at this stage leave people alone. I tried to help somebody the other day. They dropped an item out of their shopping basket I bent down to pick it up and the lady roared at me to keep away from me. I walked away. People I find have gone very angry because of the pand- pandemic. So there's notice that there's, there's a short fuse. I, I know the situation. I In my mind's eye, I can see the situation, Magella, you're talking about. I've been in, a, I, I remember a couple of times, particularly last year when we didn't have vaccines, and there was an elderly gentleman dropped something and I could see he was struggling to pick it up. It was actually out in a car park at, at a supermarket. And I sort of went, kept my distance and said, do you want me to help you? And he said, if you wouldn't mind, I can't bend down. And I said, you know, I was conscious that he might be nervous that he didn't. I, I had still had my mask on because I'd come out of the shop. So I said, if you want to step away, I'll pick up the item for you. Because, you know, I, I wanted him to feel at ease uh, as well. But he didn't ro- roar at me. I mean, all the woman had to say was, 
leave me alone I'll pick up my own items roaring at somebody you don't need to do that but it's an interesting point that you make Magella I can understand the nervousness of some people but are people getting more angry have has noticed people are you know what happened with Trish with somebody have, having a real go at her and then following her into another shop is quite intimidating and then Pearl Magella trying to help somebody out and getting the head taken off of her uh, as well has this something that's developed because of the pandemic? And David says, I know that Trish, your listener, was doing well, but what I've learned since the start of this pandemic is just mind your own business, look after yourself, and therefore you won't find yourself in a situation like that. But I, I would hate to think that we're going to get to a situation where we're not going to offer help to anybody, that, you know, we're so fearful that somebody's going to have a go at us just because we're trying to help somebody out. There's, you know, no need for people being nasty. You can, there's a polite way of saying to somebody, no, I don't need need your help you don't need to take the head off somebody and you certainly don't need to follow somebody else into a shop and have a go at somebody and become very very intimidating to the point that Trish ended her shopping trip and just went home she felt so intimidated and so shaken by what happened to her uh, this morning and then Gary was on to us do I have I have a piece from Gary and um, this is Gary who lives in the Cove area and he was uh, driving on the Fosha Road into Cove and he's not happy about cyclists on that particular road. Take a listen to what Gary had to say. This road is not suitable for cyclists. The amount of traffic on this road is unbelievable. And to think that the traffic is held up every day by somebody on a bike. And that's exactly what's going on now this minute. Two people on a bike. And it, I mean, I'm not talking about one car. I'm talking about 50 cars. All held up all over, two people on a bike. And isn't it terrible to think that the bike has taken control of our lives completely? And the bike is right at all costs. There are certain roads not suitable for bikes. And this is one of them. From from Cove Cross directly into Cove is not suitable for bikes. Now, when the, the, the council decides to make the road suitable, well, that's a different story. But it's not suitable for bikes. It can hardly take the amount of traffic that's on it. The bicycle has a right over everything else. But the, the roads are not suitable. I mean, they're causing terrible chaos. I mean, if I was a single person on a bicycle, do you think that I would feel embarrassed about holding up trucks and cars and tractors and everything? Holding up everything. And I'm only one person. I'd feel embarrassed about it. I, I feel that it's not right that, I, that, I'm, that I'm doing this. But still, the guy on the bicycle seems to have this kind of attitude that I, I'm, in, I'm entitled and I'm the one that will hold up everyone. But even, even, with, even with law with him, I wouldn't cycle a bicycle with a, with a, with a, with a, with a turkey ton truck coming behind me. There's Gary very, very annoyed about being held up this morning on that uh, particular road into uh, Cove. So is Gary right? Are there actually roads out there that are simply not suitable for cycling and therefore we should have signs up saying no cyclists allowed on this particular road because by doing that you're going to hold up traffic because Gary said it wasn't just him he reckons there was about 50 cars held up because of those two cyclists out on the road this morning if cyclists want to defend your right to be on all roads we'd love to hear from you or is Gary right that there are simply some roads I mean I don't think he wants a ban on all cyclists but there are simply some roads where cyclists should not be permitted 
it. And Heidi says, morning to you, Patricia. Here we go again. Another COVID variant on the horizon. We know that the flu changes every year. That's why the flu vaccine has to change. But of course, COVID will mutate. But it seems a big scare for us all. Will we ever get back to life as it once was, says Heidi. And this is to do with the World Health Organisation have come out about this. They're monitoring a new coronavirus variant. It's called Mu. MU and it was first identified in Colombia. Now this particular variant was identified in January of this year but it's only this week that the World Health Organisation have now classified it as a variant of uh, interest and they are saying that the the variant has mutations that indicate a risk of resistance to vaccines but they are stressing further studies that need to be done to better understand uh, it and there's obviously widespread concern over the emergence of any new virus mutations because the infection rates unfortunately across the globe are uh, ticking up particularly with the highly transmissible Delta variant uh, taking hold and it's taking hold especially amongst the unvaccinated and in regions where antivirus measures have been relaxed so obviously there's a lot of concern by the World Health Organisation there and that's why we need to get more and more people uh, vaccinated 1850 333 103 keep your gardening questions coming in please for Peter Dowdell because he'll be joining us in a couple of minutes you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council's Community Support Programme here to assist vulnerable people with their daily needs through the COVID-19 pandemic see corkcoco.ie Michael O'Mahony of Rathmore is planning to walk roads in the Rathmore area to raise funds for the air ambulance. It'll include walking two to three miles a day. He's hoping to fulfil his 60 miles goal in September. You can support him by also taking part in your own area. You can walk, run, cycle or stroll the 60 miles in the month of September and donations can be made through Michael O'Mahony's Facebook page or you can contact him directly at 87 and the 175th anniversary of the famine will be celebrated in Glenville on next Sunday, the 5th of September, half past two in the afternoon. The Bishop of Cork and Ross will bless the famine memorial plaque and everyone very welcome to attend. And the staff of Redcliffe House Hub, who they provide emergency accommodation for families experiencing homelessness in Cork. They're taking part in a skydive on Saturday, the 18th of September. It's an effort to raise funds for the centre. You can contribute to their I Donate page, which is redcliffe-family-hub. Cork Today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Some reaction to the piece I mentioned when we contacted AIB Bank yesterday because one of our listeners pointed out that they were in the bank to discover you can't print off statements anymore from the kiosk from the 22nd of September. We contacted AIB to say what's going on and they say yes that's true and it is to save paper and to save waste because too many people are printing off statements and it's just a waste of paper and they want to save trees and all of that. Jim says well God no Patricia I've heard it all. Banks are worried about paper waste. It didn't bother them when the managers were on huge salaries and coaxing people to take out loans and being rewarded for the amount of loans that they could acquire and managers knowing that people might not be able to pay it back if times got hard which they did and along with the loan for the mortgage so they were encouraging people take a loan change your car go out and have a holiday and to think we the taxpayers bailed out those banks 
and you can't even meet a member of staff now in a bank and they're telling you now you can't print off a few statements. It is uh, shocking. That is from uh, Jim. And there are others wondering, this is AIB, will other banks now follow suit? Uh, Probably, yeah. Mary in Kanturk says, I really feel for the older people that are left behind, particularly by financial institutions like what the bank is doing. Everything now is going online or everything you're told to do, do it online or download the app and do it on your phone. It's not a big deal, surely, to ask a member of staff to print off a statement for somebody. So why could they not do it? I feel that banks are forgetting the older people that the younger people will be fine because they're tech savvy and they have the apps and all of that but surely they need to give the older people a chance it is simply unfair and then there was some reaction in to Gary about the cyclists and he was held up on the road from Fota to uh, Cove and he was really annoyed when he contacted us this morning. Deirdre in Carrick Tool agrees 100% with Gary. The road that Gary is talking about is simply not suitable for any kind of bicycles. It is too narrow. It was a nightmare, Deirdre said, during the summer. Also, Deirdre was on a roadway just last week, a rural road near Carrick Tuha, and four bikes were out on the road. It was three minutes. She timed it until they pulled in so she could pass this can and will lead to accidents yeah, because people and you could hear it in Gary's voice he was getting so frustrated and of course when people get frustrated that's when they decide to do stupid things and try to overtake and if it's a very narrow road and if there's a bend coming up it is yeah it's an it's an accident waiting to happen for sure Adams Adams said I do cycle but I do agree that not all roads are suitable for cycling rural roads are by far the worst with bad bends etc but they do need to offer cyclists alternatives I tend to try to cycle on quiet rural roads but that's fine where I live but it isn't ideal for everyone if they don't have a quiet road in their area but that very quiet road you're talking about Adam in rural areas is the very road that Gary is talking about and that Deirdre is talking about and if suddenly a car comes and they can't overtake and if you don't pull in or there isn't a space for you to pull in uh, that's where people get very, very frustrated indeed and in fairness Local authorities are getting better. We're seeing a lot more of those. Those greenways are fantastic now and, and, and until we have one in every area we're going to there will be a situation where people on bikes want to get out and cycle. We're never going to see the situation like Gary wants where you'd actually have certain roads where you'd ban cyclists. I mean, that's what Gary is suggesting we should do. You have roads. These roads are OK for cyclists. So let them cycle on the greenway, but you can't cycle on this road. That's that's not going to happen. Uh, but if, if we got to a situation where there was greenways everywhere, then maybe we could have a situation uh, like that. Uh, Pat says... That man, Gary, from Cove, is right about those bikers. They've taken over our roads. They, the ones on cyclists, don't pay road tax, don't pay insurance, yet they have the cheek to tell drivers what to do. They're like the guys and the others. If we keep shouting, we will get our... our they're like people who say, if we keep shouting, we will get our way, says uh, Pat, who feels that cyclists have too much authority on the road. And Gary was making the same point as well, that if you try to uh, take them on. Uh, Trish, to Gary on the roads not being suitable for cyclists, is it not time that we put up signs saying no bicycles allowed? It is so frustrating when you're trying 
trying to drive, you end up in the ditch while cyclists are out on the roads. Uh, something needs to be done about it. OK, so there are a number of people agreeing with Gary, particularly people I think who live in rural areas who who get caught up in that frustration of being caught behind a uh, cyclist. And someone says, Patricia, did you see the na- the storm names have come out? I did. They got officially released this uh, week. Arwen is going to be our first storm to hit Ar- Ireland this winter. This is the list of storm names. They've just been released by Met Aaron and it's for the storms for 2021 into 2022. Now, the list was compiled in collaboration with the UK Met Office, but also helping us out is the Royal Netherlands Meteorological Institute, so the Met Office in the Netherlands as well. The practice of naming storms was introduced by Met Aaron and the UK Met Office. Now that started back in 2015 and I don't know why but in 2019 the Met Office in the Netherlands decided to get involved as well. Um, Probably because the storm that hit us in Ireland and in the UK obviously then heads over to the Netherlands so they wanted to have their tuppence safety worth and they wanted to get involved with the naming of the storms as well and that's why certainly since 2019 there's a couple of unusual names in there because normally up between 2015 um, in the early years when it was the UK and Irish Met Office you could always tell the ones whether the ones the Irish picked because people were deliberately trying to make sure that we got in with Irish names and you could always tell which ones were the ones that were voted in by the UK Met Office so the more unusual ones are the ones obviously that are coming from the Netherlands. So the list of the uh, names that will come. Now, we, when, this is not to say that we will get through all of these. Hopefully, we won't have this many storms that we're going to need to get through all of these. But Arwen, when the first storm hits, they'll name it Arwen. So Storm Arwen will be on the way. We can nearly be guaranteed that we'll get that. That will be followed. And of course, it goes alphabetical after that. Then we will have the Storm Barra. Storm Corrie, take it, that came from England. Dudley will be the fourth one. Eunice, Storm Franklin, Storm Gladys, Herman, take it, that's coming from the Netherlands. Imani, is that from the Netherlands? Jack, Kim, Logan. There will be Storm Maeve and Maeve will be spent the Irish way of M-E, Father, A-B-H. Then there will be Storm Nassim, Storm Alwyn, Pole, with a father, P-O, father, L. Ruby's in there. Sean is in there. There will be a storm, Sean. Now, I don't know if we'll get as far down to S. We'll have to have a really bad storm season to get to storm, Sean. Then storm, Tanika. Storm, Virgil. And the very last one that hopefully we won't get to, which will be storm... Willamine. Willamine is the is the W one. So they're the official list of storms for the 2021-2022 storm season. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your uh, calls. You can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Gardening questions, please. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Peter Dowdle uh, joins me. Good afternoon to you, Peter. 
I was waiting for a jingle. So to was I. I didn't, it just disappeared yeah. on me. I'm, I'm very well, uh, thank you. And actually, while I was waiting for the jingle to come in, I'm reading this gorgeous email that has come in, uh, dedicated to your good self from Margaret, one of our regular listeners, to say, Hi, Patricia. This is not a question for Peter, but it's a huge thank you to him for his wonderful advice every week on your programme. I've written before about my gardening efforts, and this year I went down the biodiversity route following Peter's tips. I've enjoyed a summer of bees, butterflies and birds arriving and enjoying my efforts. It was wonderful to sit and watch and to know that I've contributed in a very small way to helping them to continue their work. I must say I have really relaxed into my efforts and enjoyed the fruits of my labour and I can honestly boast that with the flowers I have the healthiest dock leaves ever. I am trying to go weed free but sure you have to admire their tenacity. Thanks Peter. I'm looking forward to getting my bulbs when I finally cut back my wildflowers and I'll start all over again. Again. And that's from Margaret and Donneret. Isn't that a lovely email? Isn't that lovely from Margaret? And thank you. But uh, and I'm glad glad you're getting such enjoyment from it. And it's you know I, I completely understand what she's saying and concur with it. That when you sit in the middle of a garden, be it your own or any other, uh, and you're surrounded by buzzing insects and flies and butterflies and bees, it's just it's just magic. We as as I've said several times on this program, Trish, we kind of need to recalibrate ourselves into what we think is beautiful and. It's it's the sound of insects, and it is you know I much rather look at green weeds as opposed to brown weeds sprayed with chemicals. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it, we just need to kind of readjust ourselves a bit. And uh, but but thank you for the kind words, Margaret. Yeah. Right and how often well. how often have we said learn to love the daisies in the buttercups? Yes. There's no, yes. There's and if you remember, mind. Trish, if you remember, uh, God knows, I, I'd say it's twenty years since I started doing this with you. We'd stop counting at twenty, <laughs> but. Um, uh, I remember back then when we were being asked questions about weeds and lawns, and I used to kind of say nearly nearly nervously and tongue-in-cheek, oh, we must learn to love the weeds in the lawn, and if you can't use this weed killer or that. But now there's no tongue-in-cheek about it anymore. We have to learn yeah, to we, love we the weeds. We have no choice. OK, let's get straight into questions. Yeah. Eileen in Clan uh, says, Hi, Peter. I have both blue and white agapanthus. The blue are lovely and upright and tall, but the white ones, however, are bowed over and almost flopped down. They're in a sheltered area. Any advice from Peter as to what could be wrong? Yeah, I don't think there's anything that could be wrong as such. It's just to do with the variety, Trish. So some, they, they, believe it or not, there's not just one blue and one white agapanthus. There are hundreds of varieties of agapanthus, uh, all with different shades of blue, different shades of white, different flower size, different height. Uh, and some of the the, the reason that, that plants are cultivated to, to give you different cultivars is for, for many reasons. It, it might be, as I say, flower shape or flower vibrancy or also in terms of the stem. It might be very rigid stems or, 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 or not. Um, so it's not that there's anything wrong. Growing in a sheltered place, it's flowering. In, in fact, it's doing so well. It's flowering so well. It's, it's physics has taken over. It's falling over with the weight of the flower. So uh, the, there's no magic wand in that that plant can, you can use on that plant to get it to fix itself but all you can do if it really annoys you is, is stake it so you can either stake the individual blooms with some bamboo canes or you'll also get these you know the, the, they're designed for purpose they're, they're kind of herbaceous plant stakes they, they tend to be metal and that they're in kind of hoops or like arcs so you're not actually individually tying every single flower spike to, to a bamboo uh, you just uh, put in these plant supports and they hold them up and they become because they're normally green uh, they normally become kind of invisible in amongst the plant, but that's that's really the only way that you can fix that, if you like. Okay, Mary in Carrigdavar, a beech hedge which we sa- which we planted back in January of this year. When and what can I feed it with at this stage? 
at this stage I wouldn't feed it with anything because we're coming into the dare I say it we were coming into the you know the autumn of the year and growth is slowing down so you don't really want to be feeding it now to promote growth because a couple of months time we'll, we'll be heading into frost territory so we don't want new growth really at this time of the year so the important things to do with any new beach hedge really is water uh, now we had a lot of, of rain, particularly in the first half of this year. We've had some very, very dry weather since. Uh, and even though the weather isn't wonderful today, I, it, it's been, a, I think it's been nearly, it's been two weeks since we had rain nearly. It's been quite a while anyway. Um, so just pay attention to watering it. Uh, as I say, growth is going to slow down, so feeding it isn't going to be necessary. What, the need for water will, will reduce as well over the next couple of months uh, and nature will take over. But a very a very beneficial thing to do to it is to mulch around the base of the beach hedge. So if you mulch it with it, could be a bark mulch, it could be homemade compost, any kind of organic matter. So if you put any a mulch of any organic material around the base of that hedge, what you're doing is you're doing a couple of things. You're number one, you're you're helping it to retain moisture uh, by by slowing the rate of evaporation from the soil. But you're also going to keep weeds at bay. Now. Keeping weeds at bay is very important because weeds will actually get the rainwater before the water can go down to the roots of the hedge. So keeping weeds at bay for the first few years is very, very important. And finally, well, not finally, there's two other things. Number one, as that organic matter breaks down, it improves soil texture and soil structure. But uh, what you're doing is, as well, when we do get into the winter of the year, if we do get a severe frost, you're, you're physically protecting the roots and the bottom part of that plant from the, the worst of the frost by just putting a few inches of organic matter above it. So I think the most important thing you could do now is not feed it, but mulch it with good organic material. How do you get tomatoes to go red, says the listener? I've actually grown tomatoes for the first time. They're still green. Yeah, well, yeah, and uh, I, I, dare I say it uh, on the radio, <laughs> I sold mine too late and they're hardly there at all. But anyway, um, so if they're still green, like if they're, if they're an outdoor variety, I'd be inclined to start bringing them in now because the temperatures are beginning to drop. So I bring them in now. Uh, if they're a good size in green, I'd bring them in. And, you know, just we've, we've given this tip before, but it does work into a brown paper bag with a banana. Uh, and that, that will help They'll them ripen. ripen. It's like magic. Yeah. Uh, if if they're indoors in a greenhouse or a polytunnel, I'd be inclined to leave them on. They'll have enough high temperatures there. They should ripen on their own. And they will eventually ripen. OK, Lorraine in Mallow, her red hot pokers didn't flower this year. The leaves came up, but no flowers. They normally flower in August. But she's noticed this year that where they're planted, they're quite sheltered in from other shrubs and trees growing in that area. Do they need full sunlight? They do. They do need full sun. Full, uh, full sun. The red hot pokers are native to South Africa, so they, they're they're native to a very hot climate, very sunny climate. Uh, so when she says sheltered, I'm guessing she also means they're being shaded and kind of crowded out by it. So yes, that is going to have an effect on it certainly. But also, as with any perennial, if you like, as it as it establishes over the years, it'll benefit from being lifted during the winter months and divided because the plant itself could have get got quite congested. So if you lift it and divide the root system into four or five different clumps, not only have you got four or five new plants for the garden or for friends, but you're also rejuvenating the original clump that you're putting back in. You're allowing its space to develop again. So I would do that over the winter months, anytime between November and February, and then a shot of a good quality tomato food come, come next spring onwards. Okay, Mary, hi, this is from Mary. Hi, Peter. I have a camellia in a well-drained, sunny spot, not doing too good. Hasn't been for the last three years. The buds come and then they just fall off. Yes, and I think that's probably to do with the position, actually. Camellias, whilst they, 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 they don't mind sun, they, they hate to be too sunny. They, they won't thrive in an area that's... Um, 
south facing or east facing so if it's in a position where it's getting the 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 sunrise if you like if the early sun is hitting it uh it won't like it and equally if it's in as i say south facing where it's getting full sun nearly all day they don't like that the ideally they like to be facing west and sheltered from the early morning sun they can get sun in the evening no problem uh, and what happens is uh, camellias in fact they're probably in bud now camellias and rhododendrons and magnolias they set their their flower buds among many other plants uh, around this time of the year kind of august september time july august september uh, for opening up next year so what happens of course between now and the next spring is we get frost and we might even get snow and we get low temperatures uh, and that when the plant is open to the elements like it's open to sun but it's also open to the to the other elements during the winter what happens then is the buds that are on the tree or the shrub uh, before they open they'll just fall off so i would think that the problem here is a, a question of position and aspect so it's it's been in there at least three years because she said it hasn't been great three years. So I wonder how many years it was in there before then. But the reason I, I asked that is because moving a camellia does come with quite a big risk if it's established. If it's only three years, it should move easy enough. But if it's five or more years, you know, there, there's quite a risk in moving it. But all you can do is move it sometime December, January at the coldest part of the year when the plant is totally dormant. Uh, take it out as big a root ball as possible and move it into somewhere where it's more sheltered from the elements. Band here, listener. Question for Peter, please. Uh, the name of a product to treat moss on a gravel path. Moss on a gravel path. There's several on the market. The best thing, actually, if it's a, sorry, if I'm just thinking out loud, if it's a gravel path, moss just colonises areas that where the ground isn't being worked. So obviously, if you have soil or gravel where you're, you're not digging it, moss will, will colonise that. But you know, actually just a quick rake, even a couple of times a year, will break up the gravel surface and that, that will actually prevent it from growing in the first instance. Um, so, if, if barring that, there are products on the market, I'm, I'm just struggling to remember the name, I'm pretty sure Algon, A-L-G-O-N, I'm pretty sure that's an Irish one that is, uh, if not certified organic, but I think it is environmentally sound and I know, I think that's the one that I've used several times and it's been quite successful, but then to prevent moss coming back, uh, no, you'll never prevent it coming back long term because it's just our climate. It's warm and it's damp. And as I say, if the ground isn't being worked, it will come back. But there is a good product to keep it clean for a while. And it's Moscow. Moscow do a, a probiotic moss killer. Now, it's not it's not really a moss killer. It's more moss preventative. So once you've got rid of the moss, if you put on the, the Moscow probiotic, now not the not the normal Moscow, the Moscow probiotic, uh, which is environmentally sound, that will um, that will help to keep it clean for a longer period. Okay, listener says, I have a Prunus sergansen tree. No flowers on it. The top half looks dead, but the bottom is green. I planted it just last year. What would Peter think? I don't know, to be honest, without seeing it. So what it is, is a cherry blossom. I, I oh, imagine it's Prunus. Yes. Uh, the, 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 the long name is Prunus cerulatacansan. I imagine that's what it is. I'm just getting uh, a photograph of it. It's the gorgeous cherry blossom tree. Yeah, yeah. beautiful pink cherry blossom yeah. that we all know. Um now, it, 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 did you say how long it's there? Is it just, just planted year? last year? Yeah, just it planted could be last drought year. Damage. It, it could be just that it dried out, and, and that could be the issue. Um, and it most likely is that, I'm afraid. Um, without seeing a photograph, it's hard to say for certain what to do. But I, I would leave it for now. But the other side of it is, you see, it could be a fungal infection affecting the, the cherry that's killing half of it and it could be spreading. So by leaving it, actually, you're just allowing that infection to spread further into the tree. So without seeing it, as I say, if it was just drought damage, I'd be inclined to leave it. But if it's a fungal infection, I would certainly be inclined to prune out any of the disease growth. 
Helen has a white hydrangea in the garden. As soon as the flowers bloom, the petals and the leaves on the plant turn brown and then look unsightly. Is there anything I can do? Uh, there is. It is a limey soil in the garden, in that area. The, the limey soil shouldn't bother it too much. Now, it may be, but... Like when, because uh, I'm often asked, with, with you know the the mop head hydrangeas, Trish, yeah. uh, that we all know. You know the, mm. the traditional mop head, and then you have the traditional lace cap hydrangeas as well. And we kind of tend to divide them into two groups: either mop head or lace cap. Well, they are all what we call the, they're hydrangea macrophylla. They're species of hydrangea macrophylla. But then you have many other types of hydrangeas as well, and one is called Annabelle, which is a lovely flouncy white one with kind of lime green, very delicate foliage. And then you have paniculata types, which are limelight and things like this. Now, the reason I go through all this is um, the macrophyllas will tend to flower and keep going right into the early winter. And the, the leaves could often stay on it if it's mild, even after Christmas. But with the, with the annabelles and to a lesser degree with the paniculata types, the limelights and polar bear and things like that, when they flower, particularly the annabelles, the, they're not getting enough moisture at the same time they will shrivel up quite quickly. Even in the best conditions, Annabelle's, they'll give a magnificent display, and I love them as a plant, but they're quite short-lived in terms of flower compared to the other hydrangeas. They won't keep going longer than a, a few weeks, really, let alone a few months. Um, but if they're not getting enough moisture, and particularly if they're relatively new plants, if they're not getting enough moisture at the time of flowering, that will lead to them doing what what the caller is saying, that the petals okay. will dry off. And the, So I wonder, is it Annabelle, and I wonder, is it just a bit dry? Okay, hi, uh, Patricia. Question for Peter, please. I have a lovely stargazer lily that blooms a few weeks every year. I usually don't do anything by way of cutting it back. It just seems to come back again fine every time. But I googled it, and apparently I should be cutting it right back to the ground once the leaves have rotted. If this improves the plant and potentially the flowers, I'd be delighted to do it. But I'm nervous to do something so drastic in case it causes permanent damage. What would Peter advise, please? I'm smiling to myself, Trish, as I'm listening, because if it's been going fine and you're doing nothing, right, and, and uh, I would be absolutely encouraging you to keep going as you are, but then you Google it and you see you're doing something yeah. wrong. Well, well, Google doesn't necessarily know more than, more than you, and if, if left to nature, plants will do all this on their own. So I suppose, yes, the correct advice is, with any kind of flowering lily like that, it's like a daffodil. When, when, when the growth dies off and goes brown above the ground, uh, when it's brown, really, everything that's over the ground is actually dead material. It can be put into the compost bin. So whether you cut it off or whether you leave it to nature and it falls off, like the daffodils, it's really much of a muchness. So don't worry about it. So when, when the, the lily stem has gone brown, if for aesthetics you want to cut it down to ground level, by all means do. Uh, but if it's not bothering you, you don't have to know. The, 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 it's, the, the food reserve is the bulb for next year. It seems to be working well for her as well. And then Alyssa wants to know, if, yeah. I, if I put up screens on every door of my tunnel, will I stop my plants getting pollinated? If you put up screens, like, well, I mean, if it's a, a, an impenetrable screen, then yes, you, you will. If, if, if insects can't get in, yes, you will. So, no, I wouldn't advise that. Now, and even these micro-mesh screens that to keep out green fly and things like that, if they're up consist- constantly, then yes, you will stop your, your other pollinators getting in. So I would leave... leave uh, apart from anything else, I think with polytunnels and glasshouses, ventilation is very, very important to prevent fungal infections as much as anything else. So yes, the answer to your question is yes, you would prevent it. OK. All right, listen, have a great week and uh, thanks a million for joining us on the programme. Thanks, Trish. Thanks, Talk uh, Peter. That's uh, Peter Dowdle, uh, the irishgardener.com. Just before I go, a couple of quick texts on suitability of roads 
for cyclists after what Gary told us about on the road from Fota to uh, Cove. Uh, Denise in West Cork says, I think there are far too many articulated trucks on the Cookstown to Dunmanway Road. I get heart attacks sometimes when a truck suddenly appears around a bend and generally they're too wide for the size of that uh, road. So it isn't just bicycles that can be unsuitable in some roads. And then a listener was listening to me talk about Trish who kindly tried to offer somebody a mask today. She thought they'd forgotten it and got the head taken off her. This listener says, I met a lovely woman in Castletown Road. She'd forgotten her mask. I told her I have a spare one in, in the car and she was delighted. That was a number of weeks ago so not everybody reacts badly. That's a, that's a good point. OK, that's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we're back with you tomorrow morning at at 10 o'clock. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Enjoy the rest of your uh, Wednesday and stay safe. Court Today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.